There's no doubt about it, America is really hurting. If someone had come to us back in February and told us, uh, let me tell you what's going to happen over the next three months. Your favorite restaurant is going to close. Your favorite retail store is going to close. Your kid's school is going to close for the rest of the school year, and they're going to go completely online. And by the way, the doors of your church are going to close too. Wouldn't have believed it, would we? What if someone had said, you know what? The NBA is going to suspend its season. March Madness is going to be canceled. And you know what? The happiest place on earth, it's going to close for months. We never would have believed it. I was shocked when I read this stat this last week. Over the last three months, 36 million Americans have lost their jobs. That's crazy. America is hurting. And our nation is hurting even more. Our pain is only intensified with the events that have taken place over the last 13 days. We've been horrified by the image of a a rogue police officer torturing and snuffing the life out of George Floyd there in the streets of Minneapolis. Uh, We've been shocked as we've uh, seen some from the protests, not just protest peacefully, but the fringe group that has come out and decided to break into small businesses and loot the stores and vandalize and set those stores on fire. We've been horrified by those images. We thought that so-called race relations in America had gotten so much better in recent years, but this last few weeks has really caused us to wonder, have they really gotten that much better at all? We've wondered, haven't we? And so we want to know what the answers are to hate and racism. There's far too much distrust and resentment and hatred between Americans of different colors. This kind of thing shouldn't take place in America, but it does. And so let's be honest with us, with each other today. Our politicians can't fix this problem of hatred and racism. Our politicians can't fix it. Our educators can't fix it. Our political activists can't fix it. They can't fix this problem because there is a root to racism and hatred in our nation today. There's a root, and that root is not physical. It's not political. It's not societal. It's not psychological. That root is spiritual. And so the only solution to rooting out racism and hatred can be found in the pages of God's Word. Spiritual roots need spiritual solutions. And so today we're going to dive into God's word and allow him to answer the question of what is the answer to hate and racism in our world today. We're going to see what God's answer is to hate and racism. So make sure you have your Bibles handy. I want you to turn to the fifth book in the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, verses 20, uh, verse 26. Uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 26. And we'll get there in just a few minutes. Before we dive into that Acts passage, though, I want us to answer a really important foundational question, and that is, where does God stand on this issue of hatred and racism? Where does God stand? It's an important question to answer. You see, there's a lot of people uh, these days that uh, don't know for sure where God stands on these issues. You see, most Americans, around 70% of Americans, claim to be Christians. 
But most of those Americans, their view of God is kind of a, a mixture together of what the Bible says, mixed with mythology, and mixed with science fiction. And so God gets blamed for all sorts of things that God never did. And people have these perceptions of God that sometimes are way out in left field. So I want to make sure, before we see the Bible's answer to hate and racism, I want us to make sure we're all on the same page of what God himself thinks of these issues. So let me give you a few quick scriptures. Psalm chapter 86 verse 15 says, you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And guess what? God's word repeats that description of him over and over again. We see in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, and in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31, and Exodus 34, 6, and in Joel 2, verse 13, we see that same description of God repeated. Our Lord, our God, the creator of heaven and earth, is a patient God. He is a compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God's word says that over and over again. So I want you to let these words sink in. Our God is a compassionate God. Would you say that with me? Our God is a compassionate God. Say this with me. Our God is slow to anger. Please say that with me. Our God is slow to anger. How about this? Our God is abounding in love and faithfulness. Say that with me. Our God is abounding in love and and faithfulness. These things are true of God. As we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we read in Romans 2 verse 11, God does not show favoritism. Peter proclaims in Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I want to share with you another passage that I think is really telling, and that's in Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs, to a large extent, was written by Solomon, one of the wisest kings who ever lived. Uh, he was King David's son, and Solomon wrote these words. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19, he said, There are seven things that God hates. For the sake of time, I just want to share with you three of those things that God hates. You can go to Proverbs 6 and see all seven a little bit later this afternoon, but let me zero in on three. Uh, the third thing it says that God hates is hands that shed innocent blood. The fourth thing God hates is a heart that devises wicked schemes. And the fifth thing that he hates is feet that are quick to rush into evil. So if there is any doubt in your mind about God's stance on what has happened in our nation in the last two weeks then allow these scriptures to remove all doubts from your minds. Allow the, the pure source of truth, God's word, to reveal the facts, the truths about God's stance on these things. God is loving and compassionate. Amen? He hates it when people shed innocent blood. George Floyd might have deserved to be arrested on that day. But George Floyd certainly did not deserve to be tortured and have the life snuffed out of him by that police officer. That grieves the heart of God. God hates it when innocent blood is shed. 
But make no mistake about it, God has also been horrified by the events that took place after that ruthless, violent murder of George Floyd. As individuals broke off of the protests and did things that even George Floyd's family said should not be done. Going into stores and looting them and vandalizing them and uh, setting them on fire. God's word makes it clear that he does not like it. In fact, he hates it when we devise wicked schemes. And we know that many of those that broke into these stores had in mind to do that ahead of time. It was premeditated. And he hates those feet that rush into evil. So, so many jumped on the bandwagon and decided, hey, if he's got a handful of stuff from Target, then I better get a handful of stuff myself. God hates feet that rush into evil. And so God has been horrified by the events of these last 13 days, just like you and I have been horrified by these events. So are we all clear on what God thinks of hatred and violence and racism in our country today? God hates it. In case you missed that, let me say it loud and clear. God hates it. Because God is love. He hates it when people hate. Right? Because he's love, he hates it when people hate. Because God is love, he hates racism. Because God is love, he hates the violence in our nation today. It is repulsive to him And the events of these past two weeks have truly grieved the heart of God. And because of that, I believe God wants us to make, uh, I believe God wants to speak to us today three very clear pleas. He wants to speak to us about the way that we think. He wants to speak to us about our hearts, and he wants to speak to us about our actions. So we're going to look at some scriptures together today, and we're going to look at God's first plea to start with. God's first plea is this, let my word change your thinking. Let my word change your thinking. One of the reasons that Christians don't have a great track record of dealing uh, with racism and hatred in America is because many of us as Christians, let's be honest, are arrogant. Many of us are arrogant. We actually think that we've got this racism and this discrimination and prejudice thing all figured out. That's not true at all, is it? When we arrogantly think we've got it all figured out, there is the start of many of our problems. God tells us in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 8, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. So please, if there's any thought in your head that you've got all the answers to hatred and racism in America, please just tell those thoughts to shut up. Tell those thoughts to shut up. If you've got these thoughts that, you know what, I've got all the answers, no you don't. No you don't. But God does have the answers. Let's allow his word over these next few minutes we have together. Let's allow his word to transform the way that we think. Now, I ask you to turn to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Such an important, important verse. I want to read that with you. Follow along in your Bibles. If perchance you didn't get to it in your Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you as well. Acts 17, verse 26 uh, says this. From one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. 
God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Such an important passage. It's so important. I want to read it one more time. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Amen? That's an important, important verse. Here in Acts 17, 26, God reveals a really powerful truth that most people today have missed. Uh, We all have the same great-grandparents. Did you know that? It's true. We all have the same great-grandparents. Every human being on earth is a descendant of one man and, wait for it, one woman. Hopefully this isn't a newsflash to most of you. All of us have the same great-grandparents. All of us are descendants of one man and one woman. Perhaps you've heard of them. Their names are Adam and Eve. Now, bear with me on this. I don't want to lose you on what I'm about to say. So you you ready? You got your thinking caps on? God did not create a black Adam and a white Adam. God did not create a Japanese Eve and a Norwegian Eve. You still with me? God did not create one Adam that had rather slanted eyes and place him in China and create another Adam with round eyes and place him in Norway. Uh, God didn't create a Eve that tanned really, really well and place her in Peru and create another Eve that burned after five minutes in the sun and place her over in Switzerland. God created one Adam and one Eve. One man and one woman. And all of the variety we see today in skin colors and eye shapes and facial characteristics and hair types and tall and short and wide and narrow and all of the different physical characteristics are simply a blossoming of beauty out of that original one man and one woman. And so when someone asks the question, how many races are there? The Bible's answer is, there is only one. There's only one race, and it's called the human race. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. There's only one race, and it's the human race, period. God says to us today, let my word change the way that you think. God tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. And I think in the context of this discussion of racism, God is saying, no longer be conformed to the world's thinking that there is a black race and there is a white race and there is a Hispanic race and there is an Asian race. It's all a bunch of bunk. God says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your minds so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Isn't that a glorious verse? God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. According to God's word, there is only one race. Interestingly, 70% of Americans uh, say that they are Christians. 70% of Americans claim to be Christians, but most Americans don't know this. Most Americans don't understand that there is really only one race. We have allowed evolutionary lies 
to corrupt our thinking when it comes to racial relations. This Darwinian notion that if you and I go back far enough, our ancestors are not Adam and Eve. Our ancestors are Curious George and Tarzan's adopted mother. And that's just a bunch of bunk, isn't it? It's just craziness. But if you follow that rationale to its natural conclusion, if you really do believe uh, that your ancient ancestors, your original ancestors, were Curious George and Tarzan's adopted mom, if you really believe that, it stands to reason that different human ethnic groups evolved at different times. And it stands to reason that maybe my ancestors evolved out of Europe a little more quickly than your ancestors evolved out of South America. And so obviously my race is better than your race. It's a bunch of Darwinian evolutionary bunk. The word of God tells us the truth that we are not descendants of apes. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, all having the common ancestor, Adam and Eve, one man and one woman, and every human being on earth today, and every human being who has ever lived in the history of mankind, has been a descendant of one man and one woman. Friends, the whole way of thinking that we are somehow evolved is warped, and it's a slap in God's face, and most people don't even realize it. So, If we're going to see an end to hatred and racism, we must allow God's pure word to transform our thinking. We must allow God's word to open our minds to the truth that you and I are related. We're related. We're all cousins. We're all descendants of one man and one woman, Adam and Eve. And by the way, Adam and Eve were most likely not black or white. Adam and Eve, we know, were in the Middle East. And so most likely Adam and Eve were a beautiful shade of brown. And in all likelihood, all colors of human beings that we see on earth are descendants of a beautiful, beautiful brown. The Bible has been saying for 3,500 years that there's only one race, the human race. And science is finally catching up with that reality. You know what scientists have discovered in recent years? They've discovered that there is not a race chromosome. They've discovered there's no race chromosome in our DNA. Every human being they've discovered is part of one species, Homo sapiens, and they've learned that all of the differences in skin color and in hair color and in eye shape are nothing but minor physical differences that have absolutely no bearing on the facts. We are all part of one single race. The human race. Isn't that beautiful? I love how Dr. Ben Carson describes it. Many of you know that Dr. Ben Carson, he's the the current secretary of the uh, Housing and Urban Development uh, Office uh, under President Trump. But Ben Carson, for uh, most of his adult years, was a neurosurgeon. He was one of the world's best neurosurgeons. He's worked on hundreds and hundreds of people's brains, done surgeries on hundreds of brains. And you know what Ben Carson has said? He said, all these hundreds of surgeries I've done, he said, as soon as I peel back the scalp and look at the brain, the brain inside a black man is indistinguishable from the brain inside a white man or an Asian man or a European woman. Once you peel back the skin, the brains are indistinguishable from each other. And so it truly is true that color is only skin deep. And how shallow it is 
to judge someone, to discriminate against someone, to have prejudice against someone because they have a just small, small, tiny covering over their bodies that is a certain color. What a shame. God has made us the same on the inside and has just given us beautiful variety on the outside. Now I want you to turn to a second passage. We'll look at it in just a moment. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 and 27. That's a a part of the Bible we may not turn to as often. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 36. As you're turning there, I want to share with you the second plea that God's word uh, makes today and God specifically is making to us. His first plea was this, let my word transform your thinking. His second plea is this, let my son transform or change your heart. Let my son change your heart. There's a popular belief today among many Christians uh, that people are basically good. Uh, There are some bad apples in the bunch, but for the most part, people have good Hearts. Did you know the Bible says the exact opposite of that? If you were to look at Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Isn't that something? The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. Who can understand it? So many people today uh, give advice to their friends and, and their family members that sounds kind of like this. Uh, so uh, you want to know if you should date that jerk? Well, my advice is just follow your heart. Uh, you want to know if you should have that affair? You know what? Just follow your heart. You want to know whether or not you should quit that job or walk out on your family? You know, just just follow your heart. And the Word of God calls back, No! Whatever you do, don't follow your heart. The Word of God says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. God's Word says to us, don't follow your heart. It's unreliable. It's fickle. It's easily deceived, and it itself deceives. Do not follow your heart. God's Word says, follow my Word. God's Word says, follow my Son. Follow my Holy Spirit. What we do in life is, is, is not just do what feels good or we think might be good or what comes from our own bright ideas. Our job is to follow the perfect wisdom of God revealed in the pages of Scripture. And so Jeremiah 17.9 is a warning to all of us. Don't follow your heart. We are not basically good. Because of the fall, because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we are basically bad. We are a fallen people. We are distant from God and our hearts can be more deceitful than we realize. Well, I told you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, verses 26 and 27. It's a great passage. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with this passage. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, it says, God will give you a new heart. God says, I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Because we live 24-7 in a culture, in a world where we are surrounded by people who have deceitful and hard hearts, Our hearts have a tendency to become harder than we realize. This past week, God has been opening my mind to uh, some realities about discrimination and racism that I had missed in the past. 
Uh, God has been softening my heart to the plight of, of many black Americans in our nation today whose experience with law enforcement and with others, their experience with prejudice and discrimination is much different than my own. I had to realize this last week, you know what, their experience is bound to be different than mine. Because many people look at me when they see me for the first time, they assume that I'm either a police officer or former military. And so my run-ins with police officers in the past has been, by and large, very good. And part of that very well may be because of the way that I look, because of the way that I carry myself. And so I can't assume that my experience is the same as your experience. I can't assume that my experience as a middle-aged white man is the same as the experience of a young black man. And so God has been opening my mind and softening my heart. And I've realized there are many things that I just didn't know in the past. Many things I didn't really uh, feel in the past that I'm beginning to feel today. When it comes to our hearts, we have to be very careful. You see, our hearts have a tendency to tell, uh, to tell us that they are soft when in fact they're actually rather hard. And God sees the truth. The truth is our hearts are harder than we've realized. Uh, there's uh, nothing here on earth that can soften our hearts. The only sure cure for our hearts is a heart transplant. And that heart transplant can only be given by God's son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can transplant our hearts. So God saves you and me through Jesus Christ. And God says to you and me today, let my son change your heart. Because hatred and racism are sins of the heart. Racism, you see, is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. Would you say that with me? Racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And that's why no politician, no educator, and no political activist can ever solve the problem of racism and hate, hatred. They are sin problems. They are not sin problems. Oh, we need Jesus Christ more than ever before. Jesus Christ truly is America's only hope. You see, a physically blocked heart needs open heart surgery. And a spiritually corrupt heart needs a spiritual heart transplant. Only God and his son, Jesus Christ, can do that. Well, God's first plea to us is, let my word change your thinking. God's second plea to us today is, uh, let my son change your heart. And his third plea to us today is this, let my spirit change your actions. Let my spirit change your actions. In James chapter 2 verse 1, we read these powerful words, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. You believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, wonderful. Then prove it by the way you treat others who look differently than you. Don't show favoritism. James reminds us that God does not play favorites. Uh, God does not play favorites and neither should we. God doesn't treat rich people better than poor people. God doesn't treat white people better than black people. God doesn't treat adults better than he treats children. Uh, God doesn't treat uh, those who are famous and, and have multiple followers on social media better than those who don't even know what social media is. God doesn't treat some better than others and neither should we. Let me share with you three ways that God wants to change our actions in order to help us eradicate hatred and racism from our nation today. 
God over the last few minutes has been changing the way that we think. God, hopefully over the last few minutes, has been changing our hearts and softening them and helping us to realize that we haven't been as soft-hearted toward racism and hatred as we thought we might have been. And now God says, if you're willing to allow me to change your actions, let me give you these three very practical ways that you can change your actions and make a difference in this nation in regard to racism and hatred. Number one, take time to listen to your brothers and sisters who look differently than you. Take time to listen to your brothers and sisters who look different than you. Uh, James 1 verse 19 says this. It's one of my favorite verses in James. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. I've shared this verse many times with married couples that were doing this. Fighting and bickering and yelling and cutting each other off in the middle of sentences. And I have to tell husbands, be quick to listen. God gave you twice as many ears as mouths. So you've got to listen twice as much as you speak. I've got to tell wives a lot of times, you need to be listening twice as much as you speak. But this isn't just a verse for married couples, is it? It's a verse for all of us. And it applies to this race relations dilemma that we're dealing with in our nation today. We need to listen to those who look differently than we do. There's been a lot of back and forth on social media over the last 13 days. Oftentimes, uh, someone will throw out uh, the, the slogan, Black Lives Matter. And oftentimes, a Christian, a, a very well-meaning Christian, will respond with something like, well, brown lives matter. Sometimes someone hears that phrase, Black Lives Matter, and some idiot decides he's going to pick up a brick and throw it at a police officer. And so we naturally are heartbroken when we see a brick thrown at an officer of the law and we say, well, blue lives matter. And then someone, oftentimes it's a well-meaning white person, will come back and say, no, all lives matter. Well, which is it? Black lives matter? Brown lives matter? Blue lives matter? All lives matter? They're all right. Black lives do matter to God. Amen? God is... Absolutely 100% behind brown lives matter because brown lives and black lives both come from the same common ancestor, Adam and Eve. They all matter to God. Blue lives matter to God. All lives matter to God. And let me speak to you who are of the uh, Anglo-Saxon white persuasion. (laughs) Oftentimes when someone says black lives matter, we retort all lives matter. Of course all lives matter to God. But I want you to think about something you may not have thought about before. When someone who is African-American says black lives matter and you immediately shoot back all lives matter, what you're doing is disregarding the point that that individual is making. That is a cry for help. It is a cry saying, you know what, those of my ethnic background, those that have the same skin color as me, have been disenfranchised, they've been discriminated against, they've experienced prejudice that you may not have. And if you immediately retort back with why all lives matter, you're saying, you know what, that's not as important as what I have to say. And maybe, just maybe, what God wants us to do when someone says black lives matter is to zip our lip and open our ears and listen to that person's story. In our Tuesday Night Impact group this last week, our group did that. We had three individuals, uh, three of our group members this last Tuesday night who are African American. And we took time in our study as we were talking about Romans 14 and how God has called us to peace and unity in the church. We took time and just listened to the stories 
of these individuals in our group who had had vastly different experiences with law enforcement and with other members of their community than those of us who are white had had. And it was such an enriching time just to, to zip my lip and listen and learn from those who had different experiences than me. I believe God is saying, Christians, regardless what your skin color is, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Take time to listen to your brothers and sisters who look different than you. Number two, take time to pray with your brothers and sisters who look different than you. One of the most beautiful sights in the world, I think, is when Christians of uh, diverse backgrounds and different colors come together hand in hand, arm in arm to pray. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, Psalm 133 verse 1 was on my mind a lot this last week. I even shared it with the Victorville City Council uh, as I led them in a scripture and prayer before their city council meeting this past Tuesday. I shared this with them and it's been on my mind. I'll share it with you. Psalm 133 1 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in peace and unity. God is calling us to dwell together in peace and unity. And that verse could just as easily say how good and pleasant it is when brothers pray together in unity. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. And then number three, how can we allow the spirit to change our actions? Take time to love and serve those who look differently than you. We have a very simple mission at Impact Christian Church. Love, learn, and serve. We believe that as we love, learn, and serve, we're doing the main things that God has called us to do as a church. And as we do those three things, we will have a greater impact in the lives of those around us. God has called us to love, learn, and serve. There are many wonderful benefits to carrying out this mission. And one of them is this, as we lovingly serve people of different ethnic groups, God changes the way that we think about them. And at the same time, God softens our hearts to their unique struggles. God will give us a tender heart. God will give us a more compassionate heart. God will give us a more responsive heart. In Luke chapter 10, we come across one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told. In Luke chapter 10, God inspires Jesus to tell this story about a man who was traveling down that sharp and windy road between Jerusalem and Jericho. And as he traveled that windy road, some bandits jumped out and they attacked the man. They mugged him, they beat him to within an inch of his life, and they tossed him down on the side of the road to die. A little bit later, one of his fellow Jews, who happened to be a priest, came by. And, and that Jewish priest saw his brother Jew there on the side of the road, and we know what happens. He stepped to the other side and passed on the other side of the road and ignored his, his brother in need. I remember what happens a little bit later. Another fellow Jew, a Levite, who was basically an assistant pastor, he sees his brother Jew there beaten up on the side of the road, and he too passes by on the other side. And finally a man comes who is from a different country, a man who looked different and spoke different and acted different because he was a Samaritan. 
He sees this Jewish man on the side of the road, and it says there that he had a gut-wrenching compassion for that man. He gets down off of his mule, and he goes to the man, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he cleans off the man's wounds and then bandages them. He puts ointment on the wounds to help him get better, and then he lifts him up and puts him on top of his own donkey. And he takes him to an end where he can be nursed back to health until he can return on his voyage to where he was heading. This was a man who was looking different than that Jewish man. He was a man who looked different. He was a man who spoke different. He was even from a different country. But it didn't matter. He had this gut-wrenching, God-given compassion and mercy and kindness for this man. It didn't matter that he didn't look like him. It didn't matter that he didn't talk like him. It didn't matter that he was not from his hometown. He had a God-given compassion. And Jesus finishes that story. And he says, my brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, go and do Likewise, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gut-wrenching compassion of that good Samaritan. And Lord, most of us have heard this story over and over again, but we fail to follow in the footsteps of that compassionate follower of Christ. Forgive us, God. Somehow we have bought into that temptation To argue someone into agreeing with us. We bought into that temptation of jumping back, Lord, with a one-liner. Trying to show someone up who may may have had a different opinion than us. Somehow, Lord, we have thought in our arrogance that we have this racism and hatred matter all figured out, but we don't. Lord, forgive us. And I pray that your church would arise and stand, O God, in unity in solidarity with our brothers and sisters around this nation who look differently than we do. Oh, God, have mercy. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that you would bring healing. Lord, would you change our thinking? Would you help us, Lord, to take hold of your word and think the way you want us to think? May we take hold of your son, Jesus Christ, and allow him to change our hearts Lord, may we allow your Holy Spirit to change our actions so, Lord, we can love and serve and pray with and listen to those, Lord, who look differently than us for the glory of God. I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, who's been struggling with discrimination, with prejudice, Father, I just pray that they would come to you humbly right now and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to be a vessel of peace and healing instead of an instrument of division and hate. Lord, if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has been a victim, discriminated against and made to think that they are less than you created them to be, thinking that they are less than others, that they are expendable. God, I pray that your word would reveal the truth to them today, that they are a precious creation of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, every bit as valuable to you as I am. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that they would come to you right now and say, Lord, Lord, I accept, I admit that I am a sinner, that I have failed you and broken your laws. Lord, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me. I I believe in you. I trust in you. And today I choose 
to turn from my sin and follow you and put you in the driver's seat of my life and follow you for the rest of my life. I will begin obeying your word today. I will begin following you today. And Lord, as part of following you, I know I need to get baptized. I'm going to do that as soon as possible. Letting you know and the angels in heaven know and letting any person that happens to be watching know I am serious about this decision of following Jesus Christ from this point forward. Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts, our minds, and our actions today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, church. Thank you so much for tuning in for our online service today. I encourage you to reach out to me, reach out to one of our prayer counselors. And if you would like uh, to uh, hear more from Pastor Harold Hines, uh, you can just message us at the church, and we'd be more than happy to get you connected with Pastor Harold. Uh, he's a, a man of God. He's got a lot of wisdom, and he'd be ha- happy to help you as well uh, if you have a need today to speak to someone that may have dealt with some different experiences than I have. God bless you, church. Uh, May you serve the Lord faithfully and love others in all that you do. And we hope you'll join us for our live service next Sunday. God bless.